There's no better prayer to pray as we turn to God's word. Please join me. Come, thou almighty king. Help us your name to sing. Help us to praise. Father all glorious, all victorious, come and reign over us, ancient of days. In Jesus' name, amen. Please, if you would, get a Bible and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 35. Genesis 35. While you're turning there, I want to publicly thank Jonathan Singh for his excellent sermon last week on Stonehill's year verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Now, we're clearly not in 2 Timothy anymore. We're back in the Old Testament, Genesis 35. And this is the fourth in a series of six sermons covering key events in the life of Jacob. But in reality, this is a series about the God of Jacob and his undeniably great and undeserved grace to Jacob and and to us as well. And you see that grace here in Genesis 35 as God strategically intervenes with Jacob, with a son who has spiritually gone sideways. Let me read to you Genesis 35, verses 1 through 8. God said to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments and then let us arise and go to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in my day of distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. And so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he had fled from Esau, his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. And she was buried under an oak below Bethel. And so Jacob called its name Alon Bakuth. This is God's word. Now, I love the city of Philadelphia, but I hate getting there. Those of you who drive to Philadelphia know exactly what I mean. Route 95, north of the city, is always under construction. It's been that way since the year 2010. Pennsylvania Department of Transportation says it's going to take 30 more years to complete the project. (laughs) In other words, that project will be finished when my great-grandchildren are learning to drive. Now, I love my grandkids, 
But that, that idea is not much of a consolation when I'm sitting in traffic hoping against hope that that huge construction vehicle ahead of me will, will finally move out of the way so that we can get going again. 30 years unfinished. That same phrase captures the setting of this story in Genesis 35. You will never make sense of Genesis 35 if you overlook two things. First of all, do not overlook the fact that Jacob has some unfinished business with God here. And it's been unfinished for 30 years. We'll get into that in the bulk of the sermon, but for now, just remember that key word, unfinished. The other thing that you can't overlook here is caught by the key word, transition. This passage that I just read sits before a whole set of changes, major changes in Jacob's life. They roll out in quick succession in the rest of the chapter. Verse 8, which I read, Deborah, Jacob's mother's nurse, dies. She was at least 150, if not 180 years old. She dies. Secondly, uh, verses 9 through 15, God renews his covenant promise to Jacob and also renews the name change of Jacob to Israel. But he does it this time in person, in the promised land, not on high, not as a mysterious uh, visitor in a night dream. No, no, God in person. And we get that from the, the, the wording in verse 13 that God went up from Jacob. God speaking to Jacob face to face. Next, verse 18, Benjamin, Jacob's last and his favored son, is born. But next, verse 19, Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife, his dream, she dies. And at the end of the chapter, verse 29, Isaac. Jacob's father dies. As one poet put it, talking more generally, this is a chapter in which, quote, the old order changes, yielding place to new. And that's exactly the case here. By the end of chapter 35, we are ready for a new era in Jacob's story. And that's exactly what we get. In chapter 36... We have a kind of a timeout, a pause in the story to provide some genealogical records. And then in chapter 37, the story resumes in its new era with a new focus on Joseph, Jacob's son. Unfinished business and a God-initiated transition. Unfinished business and a God-initiated transition. I hope those of you who were listening, who are part of Stone Hill, see a parallel here. We at Stone Hill Church are sitting on the edge of a major transition, a God-initiated transition. Nineteen days from now, I will step down as senior pastor, which means 20 days from now, Tracy will become lead transition pastor. The old order changes, yielding place to new. And this text 
is so perfectly timed because rightly applied, God is calling all listening, but especially those from Stone Hill, to prepare spiritually for this transition and to do so by finishing up any unfinished business that you or I might have with God or with his people. I mean, this idea of of taking the time now to do what we need to do with God is, is such a biblical idea. David puts it this way. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, Lord, during this time when you may be found. And that time is now. Paul says this. The right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. The book of Hebrews says, do not refuse him who right now is preaching. Let me help each of you get back on track with any unfinished business that you have with God or his people. Let's look at the two sides of this story that I've read from Genesis 35. And the first side is the God side. God, in his grace, intrudes into Jacob's life. Look at verse 1. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. Now, doesn't that sound so kind of biblical, so poetic? You know, arise, go up. That's Old Testament Hebrew idiom. Arise, go up. What God's really saying is, get up at once and go, Jacob. Uh, Get up at once. Go to Bethel. Make your home there, not here in Shechem. And then finish what you were going to do. You see, Jacob had made some commitments, some promises to God. And they go back 30 years when he had the night vision of the ladder. And at that time, Jacob realized that the stony, barren place where he was sleeping called Luz, renamed Bethel, that was actually the house of God because he saw God and the, and the ladder connecting heaven to earth there. God was there. And so he named it Bethel, house of God. Now, uh, Jacob promised at that time, in addition to the name change of the place, he promised to God, if God will be with me on this escape journey I'm taking out of the promised land, If God will protect me and provide for me so that I can return to the promised land in peace with my brother Esau, then the Lord will be my God and I will take the stone which I have set up and I will declare it to be God's house, Bethel. Now, over the 30 years, God has been with Jacob. Jacob has a family. He has abundant wealth. He has made peace with his alienated brother. And he's back in the promised land, but not at Bethel. He's at Shechem. And he's been living in Shechem for about 10 years. Shechem is not Bethel. It's close to Bethel, 15, 20 miles away. But but Shechem is Shechem. And Bethel is Bethel. So near, but so far. Jacob has not made good on his commitment and promise to get back to Bethel and to reinstate an altar to the living God. 
God made good on his promises, but Jacob, not on his. You know, whenever I think about someone making good on promise, I cannot help but think of the closing scene in the first of the Lord of the Rings movies, The Fellowship of the Ring. And Frodo, the ring bearer, is about to set out on his own to Mount Doom in order to destroy the ring. And he's going to do so alone, he thinks. He's going to do so secretly. His friend, Samwise Gamgee, has found him and refuses to let him go alone. And here's what Samwise says. I made a promise, Mr. Frodo, a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. Don't you leave him. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. Jacob was not a Samwise Gamgee. He was a Jacob. He was someone who knew what to say in order to get his way. Someone for whom it seems talk was cheap. Someone who made promises but didn't keep them. And so God says here, verse 1, get up. Get going. Get back to Bethel. Set up that altar you promised and make good on your commitment to me. God in grace, in other words, is intruding. He's calling Jacob out of broken, interrupted obedience. How about you? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, how was your promised commitment to him doing? And in the past, have you made promises to him? And how were they doing? I mean, let me give you some examples. To those married, you made a promise and a commitment to God, to your spouse, to those present at your wedding, to remain true and loyal and to love and to serve. How's that doing? To those of you who were baptized, and I hope that if you are a follower of Christ, you have been baptized, you made a commitment a promise at your baptism to remain true to Christ and his church, to live a, a new life in the power of the risen Christ. How's that doing? Some of you in times of desperation have called out, Lord, if you will heal me, if you will rescue, rescue me, then I will do such and so. How's that doing? You know, I'm here because of that sort of prayer. When I was 14, I had an ominous tumor on my left thigh bone. And my father, after this whole series of doctor's appointments, my father took me down to Boston to Mass General Hospital. And before we went to see the doctor, some sort of expert in these things, dad took me into a little chapel there. And he prayed. I mean, I, I held back, but he knelt down and he prayed. And later, after good news came that this tumor was benign, dad told me what he prayed. He said, I prayed, God, if you will spare Matthew, I will give him to you for your service. And I believe my dad did that that day. In 19 days, I am going to make the final handoff to Pastor Tracy. And I tell you what I would love to give him as a present above all other presents. And that is the gift of a church filled with spiritual life and health and courage and faith.
A church filled with people who were making good on their faith and commitment to Christ. And I can pray for those things and I can preach for those things. But in the end, it has to be between you and God. And now is the time to turn. Now is the time to recommit. Now is the time to listen to God's voice if he's speaking to you through this text. Now is the time to to open your heart to God's grace as he intrudes and says to you, it's time to to get back on track with those commitments that you have made. It's time to make good on those promises. You say, well, what do I do? And that leads me to the second side of the story, the Jacob side. For Jacob... In response to God's grace-filled intrusion, makes a pledge. Verse 2, he's talking to the family, but he's also talking to God. And and he says three things. First of all, uh, the middle of verse 2 there, when he first starts to talk. Family, he's saying, we need to put aside whatever idols we have. Chapter 34 consists of a of a set of very kind of sleazy and, 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 and ugly events. And through those events, the family, Jacob and those with him, they picked up a lot of idols and a lot of wealth uh, through the, the events that are recounted in the chapter. And they were, they were also, though, dragged into compromise, spiritual apathy. And, and, and a lot of that wealth, and some of the gold and the earrings, represented idol, idolatrous uh, uh, commitments. We have to get rid of these gods, Jacob said. We've got to put aside whatever idols we have. Second, Jacob says, family, we need to purify ourselves. You'll see it there in verse 2. Purify yourselves. In other words, let's not just get rid of the things externally that are out there. No, no, no. We have to deal with our hearts. We need to clean them up. We need to purify and renew a wholehearted, single devotion to the one God for us, Jesus Christ. We need to focus our faith and purify to a single loyalty to Jesus Christ. We need to affirm Jesus Christ is number one in my heart and really mean it. Finally, the end of verse 2, Jacob's saying, family, we need to change our clothes. He says, change your garments. It's a unique command in the Old Testament. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are plenty of places in the Old Testament where people change their clothes. But this is a command. As a sign of new devotion, Jacob is saying, take off the clothes you have and put on the new. Get rid of maybe those fancy things that you got from Shechem, chapter 34. And put on some new things. Because we're going to Bethel, God's house. Now, if you, you, know, if you ask me, This command of changing clothes was the inspiration for the Apostle Paul and his teaching about putting off the old clothing and putting on the new. Here, for instance, is what he says in Ephesians 4, verses 21 and following. Since you have learned the truth that comes from Jesus, take off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, and instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on, here's the new clothing, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. For Paul, the putting off of clothing is talking about habits and nature and choices and patterns 
Family, going back to chapter 35 of Genesis, family, we need to start some new habits. We have in Jacob's words the basis for a pledge. To go back to something that I mentioned a few minutes ago, I mean business when I say that I want to pray and preach in such a way that on August 1st, Pastor Tracy receives the transitional leadership of a church filled with spiritual life and devotion and purity. And part of that, of making that happen is an appeal to you. That regardless of what your spiritual life has been like of late, now is the time. Today is the day to say, like Jacob, I want to make a pledge. I want to put aside whatever compromises my commitment to Christ. I want to affirm again that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, that he is number one in my heart. And to that end, I want to put on something new. In other words, I want to start a new habit that marks this new beginning. I'm asking you, before God, this week, to pray and sign the Jacob Pledge. Here's the Jacob Pledge. Lord, I am just like Jacob. In the past, I committed myself to you and your son, Jesus Christ, but I've let my commitment slip. Today, because of your unbreakable love and with the help of your empowering grace, I make this pledge to put aside whatever compromises my commitment to you, to affirm again, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, number one in my heart. And I pledge to, thirdly, start a new habit that marks this new beginning. And the way you pray and sign the Jacob Pledge is through our website. Look back at the text here, verse 4. Notice how when Jacob calls upon the people, they respond. Everyone agrees. They do what Jacob directs. I mean, this is remarkable. They give to him all the foreign gods, all the rings, and Jacob buries them. Dead, gone, done. This is a work of God. This is arguably the first broad renewal movement that we read about in Scripture. And it flows through willing people. Let's give to one another. Let's give to Pastor Tracy. Let's give to the staff and leadership of our church the great gift of active, pure, uh, single devotion to Jesus Christ, first of all. Because Jesus Christ gave himself for us and our sins so that we might be a people for his own possession, singly his, zealous for doing good. This week, pray and sign the Jacob Pledge. Will you please join me in prayer? Father God, do in our hearts, do in our church the kind of thing that you did here in Genesis 35, a a renewal that draws us back to, to first things, Christ in first place. Help us to put aside, help us to put on, help us to affirm again Christ is number one. Give us new habits for the new beginning. In Jesus' name, amen.